Hello, everybody. Welcome, finally, to this week's installment of Aftermath Hours, our weekly podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nathan Grayson. I am joined by Luke Plunkett, Gita Jackson, and Chris Person. And uh, it has been a crazy day, which is why I seem probably wired. And for those of you who are watching, um, my hair is all disheveled. I have not had time to get ready. It doesn't matter. No, I you have curly hair. Nathan, you have curly hair. You don't have to worry about it. People <laughs> without curly hair don't know what it looks like when your hair is messy. Your hair looks normal to them. This yeah. is one of my powers. Yeah, it's true. I'm going to be honest. You, 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 you're literally... You just have a lot of a lot of curls going on. I, I can't tell. Yeah, it looks Either way, great. it looks great. You look, you you. That's the benefit. I have, you know, it's just like, yeah, yeah. With short hair, it's very evident immediate. Like sh- with short straight hair, it's evident immediately if your hair is fucked up, if you slept wrong, or something like that. With curly hair, people don't notice. It's well, I have, um, I will, I will I have, take the compliment. <laughs> I have short hair, um, mm-hmm. uh, that is like semi curly. For some reason, just like there's just like like a level one. Yeah, it's like a level one curl, which only manifests as having a little bit of a cowlick if you get longer than a certain amount. So if my hair on my side gets like longer than this, it just goes like like that. I've seen your I've seen your cowlick in photos. It's very Clark Kent with the little yeah yeah. (laughs) On top, it looks sick. This shit looks great, but on the sides, it looks fucking bad. Like I don't Mm. want to wear my hair this short. Like for obvious reasons about like guy white guys wearing fucking short hair, yeah. but like it is the only length of hair, and I just have to go to like my my like Japanese barber and be like, please don't make it yeah. fascist looking. Please don't just, give me. Get I as want close this. As you can. I want this short in a gay way, not in a Nazi way. Please, and mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they fuck up. <laughs> yeah, David has a little, my husband, David, who's in the other room, just got back from grad school. He has, when he, he got, he grew his hair out for basically the entire pandemic and we didn't know it, but he has like a wave, like a very noticeable wave once it gets like nipple length on him. And he cut his hair essentially because he realized he'd have to start using hair product in order to keep it untangled and he didn't want to do that. So he just cut it shorter. Respectable. Yeah. Very respectable. I mean, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, Chris, I, I have not ever known your problem of potential Nazi hair, but that sounds absolutely horrifying. Um, <laughs> I, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, just, just don't go below a one and a half, you know, yeah. for the most part and don't, and yeah, it's, it's fine. Oh, ESDN in the chat says, yeah, I wear my ha- hair high and tight and have specifically told my barber, think spunky lesbian, not white power, please. <laughs> yeah, this is the vibe you're trying to go for. You really have to, you really have to accessorize correctly because otherwise it's like, you know, if I, you know, if I had them go like real aggressive with it and then like I wore like, like, like a really ill-fitting button up or something like mm-hmm. that, then yeah, that would be fucking bad. Yeah, you uh, have to inst- stay away from those. Uh, what are those shirts the skinheads wear with the the cute little Fred Perry? Logo? Yeah, you as can't somebody, wear any Fred Perry. As sorry. someone, yeah, again, one of those things where, as somebody who grew up in Northern Massachusetts, who listened to a lot of ska, that kind of like you, you kind of had to watch your ass. You're like, oh, yeah, Newbury Comics, yeah. this looks really good, and then you're like, oh no, I, I can't I, wear that. <laughs> I was walking through like like FIT one day, and I saw like like you know a foreign like a foreign exchange student or something like that wearing like doc martens with like white laces like bars Mm -hmm. and i was like i don't think this kid knows what that means you know what i mean i don't think he knows that at all i think this is this all a mystery to you what we're discussing or are you are you aware no 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 i codes like (laughs) no he knows 
I know, I know. I'm okay. I'm a white guy with that has to get my short like my sides done short. It's a delicate balance, yeah. <laughs> I, I, for for me, the line is always like I sometimes have to get a zero because my hair grows back incredibly quickly, and if I don't mm-hmm. get a zero, I'm going to be at the barber every two weeks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is it is a very fine like when you're getting the fade put in is a very fine line between like yes, this needs to look like yeah either gay or like professional football player, yes. not. Yeah, yeah. Nuts. yeah. I, <laughs> like I need to go. It's like I need to go in with like because sometimes my like there's this Korean lady cuts my hair and I was like I, and and her English is not great for these sort of finer discussions. I mm-hmm. feel like I need to come in with just two pictures. Like one is some Argentinian football and the other one is a Nazi. And I'm like yeah. this one, not th- <laughs> not this one. Argentinian, you say? Argentinian. What if she thinks that you mean the other one? And then you're really just in, yeah. in deep shit. I yeah. Am- well. You know, I, I'm a 43-year-old man. I have an extensive collection of, like, hats, as we can see. So, yeah. like, I'm, from, in emergencies, I'm, I think I'm okay. <laughs> all right. So, with all of that said, how in God's name am I going to pull off this transition? Today, we're talking about Microsoft layoffs. <laughs> it's a hairy situation. Whoa. There we go. There we go. Okay. Knocked it out of the park. Thank you, Chris. Did um, not see that coming. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, this makes me really upset. <laughs> That's basically all I have out. to say. Riley wrote a blog about this today. Microsoft um, is beginning to gear up for their first, I think, financial meeting where they're discussing the impact of the Blizzard uh, Activision acquisition. And as a sort of uh, runway to that, they laid off a huge number of roles. Yeah, I think almost 2,000. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So many people. Oh, my God. It's like every uh, fucking day, too. It's like every goddamn day. It's just like, all right, Riot. Riot was like two days ago. Yeah. And that <laughs> was know, also a thousand people. Yeah. With Riot, I heard the number like 530. And I, oh, wait, no, I was yeah, like, right. that's massive. Oh, my yeah. God. And it's like Microsoft was just like, hold my beer. <laughs> right. Well, also like for Riot, you know, like that was at least for like these bigger game companies still on the, on the like smaller end of things. Like 500, which is still a ridiculous number of people to lay off. And we're like, oh, well, that's not so bad, you know, compared to what's happened at Epic and now Microsoft slash Activision Blizzard. Yeah. What really drives me wild about the Microsoft one, I was talking about this with uh, Apple Cider Mage and my friend Maddie Myers from Polygon uh, in our little group chat before the podcast is... Microsoft is a company that makes profit at a level that if they eliminated their gaming department division tomorrow, it would have a minimal impact on their bottom line. And by that same token, they could keep their gaming division at exactly the same size it would be. And those 2000 jobs would not actually impact their bottom line all that much. Think about how big Microsoft is. Video games, like I feel like because of the way that the economy works and the way that I've learned that most of economic projections are just sort of guesstimates and lies, um, the way that like video games for a company that is like a not like a company like Sony or Microsoft that do other things that do consumer electronics and software, video games are like not even a secondary revenue stream. They're like a tertiary revenue stream. Mm-hmm. They're like third in in priority. They don't need to do this. They really don't need to do this. And by the same token, it doesn't make sense when they have layoffs this huge. This is like a show of force for their investors more than anything else, mm-hmm. right? To say that they've identified the profit centers and are trimming the fat in their new acquisition. So don't get worried and sell all your shares. But They, they got to be light and lean. Microsoft needs abs. 
Oh my god! And it's like Microsoft could do could just shut down Xbox tomorrow, and it wouldn't matter to them, <laughs> you know. Like, right. I think it's I think it's much more. I think Microsoft is comically more in a position to do that than Sony, though. I think Sony kind of does rely more on. I don't know. I, 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 I mean, just, there's I, a lot more Microsoft, pride. Mi- they have Microsoft, a lot more pride for it. Microsoft makes a sh- makes just like obscene like you know rentier money off of everything you know what I mean like they literally they are in a position where they I absolutely agree but it's also like I don't know you're seeing this across the board and it's like uh, you you kind of don't want to resist you kind of want to resist the urge to like completely extrapolate like man is this going to be okay or is everybody going to be okay not just gaming but like the economy because I think yeah. we've had that suspicion for a very long time of like when is this thing going to tank and like. For me, I mean, like, if you just limit it to, like, okay, gaming, AAA gaming, to say nothing of, like, medium and smaller publishers, like, collapses or, like, gets so anemic as to limit the number of releases, the reliability of releases, causing a death spiral of major AAA titles to make it, like, okay, that just means we're just in the weird, like, later era PS2 era where we're all playing, like, ReFantasio and everybody's playing the Team Ninja game that yeah. I want to play. You know, yeah. like that's that's the one we have to talk about now because people will like invent a game that's the big game now yeah. out of nothing. Yeah, I mean, hence Pal World, right? Yeah. Pal World, yes, that's yeah. exactly, the, well, that's one of those things. Pal World did, got, did a, well, we'll talk about it later. But yeah. you know what I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, like it's, it's instead of, in lieu of having these big, big releases, right, uh, that used to be like, I think it's not like a secret to anyone that games like FIFA, Madden, and Call of Duty are the pillars that actually all of the rest of the AAA gaming industry are are perched up upon. They make so much money, those three games, that mm-hmm. they are <laughs> responsible for a huge amount of the financial success of the video game industry. And uh, with, uh, if those games, if the economy is such that they can no longer do yearly releases or even once every other year type releases, it's going to be a, a weird power vacuum. Of, right in the middle there and so you will see super weird games like pow world or other kinds of games right i I think we've definitely seen weird like like i don't know if we would have the success of an elden ring in a world where a game like that comes out every year right i mean of course like it has to feel like a a once a fucking lifetime event right (laughs) yeah yeah the only way that you do that is by making a game with you know level of care and craft um that you cannot produce in just a single year but also to yeah. your point, you know, these games, those sorts of games are pillars of the industry. And it also going back to Activision Blizzard explains why, for example, you know, Bobby Kotick was obsessed with the idea of like annualized sequels of like, you know, turning Overwatch, for example, into like an annual sequel franchise. Yeah. And it's like, because they wanted more of those. They're like, well, the best way to ensure that we are the most profitable country or company ever in history um, is to just manufacture as many of these pillars as possible. And, you know, that didn't work because you can't just do that. But that's what people like Bobby Kotick, uh, may he not rest at all in peace, seem to have thought would could happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I Looking at Overwatch 2 in particular, it's really upsetting. I My, my weekly group chat with my friends where we get on uh, voice chat and just like talk, the sh- talk shit and play video games has turned into an Overwatch fan support group for <laughs> for many, many, many weeks now. And that game has been on life support for a very long time. And part of it is because they made another version of it. Like there wasn't, 
there were things wrong with the first Overwatch, especially it went through a period where it was just not fun to play. Um, but when we stopped playing, when there, you know, when we stopped having two tank Overwatch and turned over to Overwatch two, there's like a market difference in how much fun that game is now, and it's, it's. It's just dumb. <laughs> it's just dumb. And then I hear that like a lot of I see on my timeline a lot of people that were on the Overwatch 2 team are also getting laid off right now. And it's like what what is actually happening here? What what are we just really iterating on things and then ruining them and then destroying them? Like that's just really sad. Mhm. Yeah, but it's the yeah. whole cycle of all of this. It's actually um Dank is my name in chat just said um, I'm very swayed by arguments that this is all fallout from rising interest rates, though I think Ed Zytron's writing on what he terms the rot economy is eye-opening. Microsoft is posting ridiculously ridiculous profits right now and still laying off large numbers explicitly because that is rewarded by the market. And yeah, it's exactly. basically what you're saying. You I, I do, on I things do. and then destroy them. Yeah. I do agree that like overall health, overall employment numbers look good. Um, I, but speaking to the sort of rot economy element of this, I'm worried about what happens when say like, the real estate market collapses and like what that causes, you know, like, like it's one of these things where like something is going to like collapse in on itself. And I feel like it's going to take out the just general, I don't know, man, it's fucking also the economy's fake, who cares? But like, yeah. it's, it, it's just one of those things where like, that's why I don't feel like extending it beyond like, man, this is a really weird time, at least in gaming and at least in our industry, like where we're seeing a pretty big contraction. Um, and it's going to be a weird time. That's the, that's really the only thing I feel comfortable saying. It's going to be a really strange yeah. time. Mm, it's tough trying to sort out, which, because <clears throat> like there is definitely the argument that games, and I don't buy this because you've hired these people, you can afford them, you can retain them. Mm -hmm. The idea that all these games companies, like I'm using huge air quotes here, but overhired or like ramped up during the pandemic and are now contracting to some kind of bullshit notion of a sustainable or pre-pandemic level, which is, again, I think it's bullshit. Yeah, it's really yeah. hard. To, it's really it's really hard determining how much of these games layoffs are a result of that, and how much are a result of yeah a wider sort of rot at the heart of the wider economy. Because there are layoffs happening like this in other industries as well. Yeah. And there are like entire fields and industries like going through huge churn at the moment as well. So it's like yeah fuck, is this a video game specific thing? Because games were one of the only things that actually picked up during the pandemic. Like so many other industries were like hit a crisis point because people couldn't go places, people couldn't buy things things couldn't get made but we could all download video games so like obviously yeah. games blew up and so yeah it's really hard determining like is this just a contraction of that explosion or is it like something way more depressing and worse and troubling because like you said Gita, overwatch 2 sucks like there's no need for it yeah. right but what you said about fifa is and call of duty is true to a point those games are the like fifa generates like like a billion dollars a year, yeah, and that's just and that's nearly all in in digital sales. That's costing EA nothing. Yeah, Call yeah, of Duty does I the mean, same thing. For as discussing of a company at can be, Call of like EA has managed to make basically the large majority of its most like the biggest parts of its portfolio extremely profitable with like not without having to do the level of layoffs that other companies are doing concurrently. Well, so um, and that's probably because they invested <laughs> yeah. in doing a lot of those layoffs, like in the 2000s. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? but that's, <laughs> that's what I'm leading. That's what I'm leading up to is those yeah. pillars aren't, aren't so rock solid anymore. You look what happened yeah. to call of duty last year. Like the, the, yeah. the blowback on modern warfare three was huge. 
Um, and Call of Duty as a, as a cultural icon is is nowhere near what it used to be because of the competition of things like Fortnite and and other sort of, you know, it's Call of Duty is not the game anymore that that someone that's going to play a shooter or something online is playing. Yeah. FIFA hasn't been up. FIFA hasn't been updated for meaningfully for over a decade people are still playing like a ps3 game and fans are noticing that you know madden isn't what it used to be so like even those games that we used to think could make a billion dollars falling out of bed are feeling the strain of companies sort of pushing them to the wall and 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 squeezing them and sort of trying to get as much out of them for as little investment and as little work as possible and games are starting to notice that and my my like the biggest problem may be not when these other companies start doing layoffs it's when ea lays off 30 percent of the fifa team or like something happens to call of duty or something because then what's also like battlefield i mean like battlefield is it never really recover i mean that's a that's a a, like all of these things are complicated things under themselves but that one's really like that used to be big like yeah every black man in america was playing battlefield for a certain period of time right like i that was the one thing I could talk about with other black people at every party I went to for a long time. It's like, you got an Xbox 360, you play Battlefield. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> but that but goes back like- to what we were talking about, how it was yeah. a real strike. Like, EA have done really well in most cases to annualize, and what and our Activision were trying to annualize its games. The problem with Battlefield is that it was a standalone video game. Like, yeah. like Battlefield, the most successful Battlefields, the most popular Battlefields were entirely self-contained experiences. They weren't things that you sold season passes to or or, or worked mm-hmm. on some kind of persistent level. And you can see all the problems coming into Battlefield as soon as they start with the Star Wars games yeah. because they 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 start to think, well, shit, we, can, we need to make more of these. We need to release them more often and we need to juice them in ways that can make them profitable, like beyond just selling the $60 release. And that's just been – it's just destroyed the franchise. Like, I know I'm a very public Battlefield 2042 defender because I, I like that game. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I also mm. fully understand why a huge number of Battlefield fans hate it. Um, and that's just a result of that. Like, EA is never going to bring back Battlefield because it can't afford to. It, it Like, the way their company is set up and the way AAA video games are set up, they can only make these bullshit games that are going to continually squeeze you for season passes and battle passes and skins and all this other bullshit. I guess um, sort of getting into this, though, is like, okay, so like in lieu of Battlefield, what do we have? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In lieu of that, because there are people who want something kind of flavored like that. And, you know, you saw BattleBit was popular for like a month or so in the same way that like Splitgate was where everyone like, oh, this really scratches an itch. And then it makes a shitload of money and then nobody ever talks about it again. Hmm. Um, yeah. But also you have people who used to be dice devs moving over to make, you know, a game that is unfortunately AI influenced, but is, has a lot of certain elements of Battlefield in that. And then it like suddenly blowing up and ha- feeling an itch. And they- You mean the, you know, uh, the like, finals, right? The finals, yeah. The finals yeah. are like former dice guys. And like, you can see those bits of it in there. And it's like, life finds a way. It's the same thing. Like the main thing I've been thinking about like about the fucking exhausting topic of power world is that like not the like what did these people do what didn't they do it's like what didn't nintendo do nintendo could have made like a dragon quest builder style survival game you know what i mean dragon quest builders fucking rules they could have done that shit they could have made a good pokemon game they have cho- not done that for a very long time. They've made interesting Pokemon games, but they're broken on release. They review poorly. Like, say what you will about Arceus, that shit did not work. And I know that yeah. because I made a whole fucking episode of my show about the that ways it was just, broken. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's you know, like, it's it's interesting with Pokemon, especially because uh, the core fan base is children, and I often, when I play those games, I feel really bad for the children playing them. Right? I, as a child, played Pokemon, and that game worked. Right? That game yep. functioned. That game worked so well that I could play it over and over and over and over again. I I don't know if the children these days like. Uh, did you just do a kids these days? No, I'm curious though. Like, are the children these days? I, I know that Pokemon gets them through brand recognition, but do they actually want to play the games? Because I remember playing those games and wanting to become Pokemon champion, and now the games like won't let you because they're broken. I mean, and I, you know, there deserves to be a better, uh, just like the Bluey game. I feel like there just deserves to be a higher echelon of like games for children. But they are just treated as disposable because they know that the children will buy it anyway. Yeah, although I will say, and like, I, I think there's something to that because I remember having a really high tolerance for that kind of bullshit when I was a kid. Like, <laughs> That's you know, true. I mean, and like, you know, to some degree, like bugs or features when they're funny, things like that. But yeah, I just remember like mm. playing, you know, bad Harry Potter games and stuff and being like, yeah, this barely works, but you know, but, it's no, but like, immersing but me like, in this world. So whatever, I'll take it. But now when you're like, and, and I know the Pokemon company isn't Nintendo per se, I always hate that that part of it where it's like, oh, it's a yeah. third, third. It's like, no. It's a different part of Nintendo no, is yeah, making games that children can play that are not broken on release. They right? are, they they don't, they, this shit would not fly if you did this with the Mario game. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. Like it would not. And because of the weird like pace at which they're doing things, the rate at which they haven't updated the Switch, you know, all of these factors are leading to like a game that looks like ass. And so when somebody takes a, you know, say what you will asset, like, you know, basically kit bashed game. I think that's a, say, a fair, a fairer assessment that's done all in unreal engine, which look, just like looks good. You know, I'm sorry. That's a stable ass engine. Mm -hmm. You know, it, I played that game. It's not bad. It's not great. Not bad. You go and it's depressing to play in certain ways if you think about it. But like, yeah. but like the, it's basically jump stars, you know what I mean? Or jump heroes, whatever the fuck, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, that's a weird, ugly looking third version of it. But it is scratching an itch, which is to say, I would like these creatures to look good in three dimensions and I would like this game to play well. Yeah, I, you know, the world of Pokemon when I played it on my Game Boy was complete. And I would like my child eventually to be able to play a version of Pokemon that is similarly complete. It wasn't without bugs, of course. You all remember like the original Pokemon doing oh, the man, missing items now. glitch. You're missing Miss now, right? Yeah. But that those friend. are like fun That's bugs fun. that made your game more interesting. What happens now and the bugs of the in Pokemon are like you just can't play the game anymore. Your save file is corrupted and all the models are flying out everywhere. It's it's it is genuinely really depressing. Cause uh Part of what made those games so good was just the gameplay loop and its design and feeling like it was really complete. And now they just keep kind of adding features, trying to appease this adult fan base that wants Pokemon to be fundamentally a different thing than it actually is, while also trying to make a game that's like understandable and accessible to children. And they just haven't split that difference very well. And yeah, to like to have it be published by Nintendo and to see something go up against like Super Mario Odyssey, which is just not broken and playable and really expansive on release, it does feel like a little, it feels weird. It makes you think like, what is Game Freak doing? <laughs> like, what are you doing? But that's it. Like you, you know, it is, it is like a strategic era. <clears throat> yeah. It's like they, if they just went and made like, did you play Let's Go Pikachu? Like I remake? did. Yeah. I reviewed that. I, I played Let's Go Eevee. It was really good. Like it was for adorable. like that's, that's all you need to do to make a Pokemon game for children is just yeah. 
keep keep the simple top down like bare bones Pokemon experience. Have it look really nice because it's on the Switch. Have some nice three D interiors or whatever. The, this the, this idea that they have to somehow make games for like thirty two year olds and six year olds at the same time is like <laughs> wild. It's yeah. that's almost impossible to do. Like like you are part of the only company on earth that can do that, and like clearly you guys can't even do that because <laughs> like, you know it's- like you can't. You're trying to split the difference, like maybe make an adult Pokemon game and a kids Pokemon game. Like stop trying to make a kids Pokemon game, but it has a 3D appeal for for adults. But then adults sit down and play with it, like, oh, this is broken and this plays like shit. Like I, I don't mean. want to play this. But yeah. also, but also, just this—it's you know—the entire time, every time I think about this, I just think of there the, of the there will be blood, Daniel of Plainview milkshake scene. That's what this is. You have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake. Mm-hmm. My my straw is longer than yours, and I drink it all the way up. You know, you know, you lose, I win. That's what this shit is. And like you know, Daniel Plainview, not a good guy historically yeah. speaking. But that's the the dynamic at work. You know, there was a guy here. There, you know, there were these fucking weird, you know, crypto CEO strange guys making just like the most crass game possible it's like it's just a rust clone who cares i don't care but like they knew what was popular it got influencer support and Mm -hmm. then they and and it filled a gaping hole a strategic one that nintendo has fucking been missing and like and also just i'm like i the i understand the like corkboard theory impulse to be like oh they use models blah 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 that shit has been kind of annoying i'm sorry yeah that, like no, I mean, uh, not, not when you have a re- incredibly when, annoying <laughs> when you have real fucking proof of this shit yeah because like I'm, I, I'm on the subreddits for those things and like i'm gonna be honest like if you like the i see the darkest most annoying shit because like i don't think you should be on either party side you know right. what I mean? This isn't like this is Alien versus Predator. Nobody yeah. wins here. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> and exactly like, that. <laughs> and like to me, the thing that's so annoying is the idea that like Game Freak or the Nintendo Company or Nintendo and anybody involved in this would ever need any like legal like like us fucking strangers on the internet to help them out. Yeah, you know right. what I mean. That's just so alien wow. to me. First, you know what I mean. The idea that they need oh oh well, do you guys need help support? It's like that's like that's like being like hey Disney, do you need someone? Somebody ripped off your IP. It's just like for me, I just I don't I don't see how you can empathize with a corporation like that at that scale. And also just like ah oh, man, I don't know, dude. Like I'm pretty sure they're on it. Like right. the, the the thing they released last night was basically like a please stop emailing us. Right, right. There's no way that they're like, because if they were actually going to like pursue legal action, they would not have put out that statement. They just would have, yeah. you know, said they we're pursuing legal it. action and here's how it's gonna go. And they um, also I, like, think about how many Nintendo fan projects that get taken down before they release. Yeah. Like they had ample time. To oh, pursue yeah. and legal. Like, it's not like this escaped their notice. Right. And <laughs> they like, didn't. Even though this was not, you know, as big as it is now, pre-release, it still generated some attention. It generated it enough that I'm sure Nintendo was aware of it. And they were like, I, ah, whatever. Um, I do, but, I do. I I will say, I, I think people are like, well, they would have sued them two years ago. I'm sympathetic to that argument. I think that they made a lot of money might have changed the dynamic a little bit. And if they find shit in the files, like if there's just like Pikachu.model flash you know, mm-hmm. flack, whatever the fuck. If whatever, if there's like a blender mesh of just Pikachu in there. Yeah, they're gonna sue the shit out of them. Yeah, you know I what think, I mean. Uh, but like, Ethan but Gag like, or someone might have mentioned on Twitter that if they go to, uh, if they get, if they pursue legal action, it goes to discovery. Then the the records yeah. can be released that say how many times they mentioned Pokemon within their internal communications, which could be damning. Which yeah. I'm because I'm sure that they did mention Pokemon. Well, Pokemon yeah, is a kind of game now. 
Yeah. Well, also, I mean, like, you know, they're, they're clearly incredibly inspired by Pokemon. And like, yeah, a lot of the models constitute essentially ripoffs, um, but not in the sense of like, you know, drawing the exact lines to make a thing that looks literally the same. It's just like very, you know, similar design sensibilities. But I mean, so much of this feels to me like people who are upset about this or who are like, you know, doing all this sleuthing are not doing it in the name of what they say they're doing it about. It's like all culture war bullshit. Mm -hmm. um, just like, mm -hmm. you know, extrapolated a couple layers beyond what it purports to be about. But like, you know, it's a mixture it's of people being mad about like basic ideas of plagiarism. Maybe it's people being like, I like Pokemon. So I want to defend Pokemon by any means necessary. Even if that means trying to convince people by saying like, oh, if Power World stole from Pokemon, then they're going to come next for you, random fan artist online, which is like yeah. a preposterous <laughs> fucking <laughs> argument. It's credit, um, silly. Credit, I, I will say. Can I can I say credit to uh, Bloodberry Tart with the thing uh, with the statement? I'm not sure people believe they needed help so much as they learned about plagiarism from that H bomb video and are really yes. eager to get it used in it in conversation. Well, no. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, so I went to the New York Video Game Awards the other night, and I ran into our mutual friend Tim Rogers, and he and I were talking for a little bit about you know just online discourse and stuff, and he was like, "Yeah, I stopped following any of it because I realized that it's mostly children." It's mostly yep. children talking online. And so when you have people who are going to war like this, and I think he's right to an extent, I think there are a lot of also just adults who are embarrassing people and yeah. do this because they have nothing else happening in their lives. But it's I fandom, do think that you know? a lot of these discourses are propelled forward by kids who are like having conversations about these topics for the first time in their lives yeah. um, and learned about them, like you're saying, from H-bomb like a month ago. Like, yeah. That, that's the full breadth of their experience here. So here's my grand unifying theory of internet fandom. I, I feel like everyone is in varying levels of circles, like concentric circles of fandom. At the broad level in the world of video games, it's like a, a global phenomenon, let's say, where there's the biggest circle video game fans. And then you you might get into smaller and smaller circles. You find your specific circle of how far into the fandom you want to be. Maybe you're not on video game Twitter, but you still play a lot of video games. Maybe you only talk about video games in your Discord server, blah, 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 but you're still in the fandom of video games broadly. And the thing about fandom dynamics is no matter what circle you're in, if there is not an event happening, then you cannot like perform your fandom of video mm. games. So if everyone's talking about Pal World and you don't like it, the easiest way for to, to insert yourself into the conversation is to find something you don't like about it or to look for someone to give you a reason to not like it so that you can be part of the cultural conversation in the video games fandom, broadly speaking. So I do feel like a lot of this is like, the stuff that happens in between seasons of your favorite television show, right? <laughs> you're waiting for a game to come out. It's January. So what are you going to get mad about? Uh, Pal World, Pokemon, plagiarism. Here we go. Right. And, and then Yakuza comes out. Yeah. And like you'll, you will just be swept up in uh -oh. the next thing. I, I fear that there is very little overlap in those fandoms. I think that, you know, again, a lot of Pokemon fans or a lot of the people who are in this discourse by virtue of being both fans of Pokemon and like survival crafting games and stuff are younger. And like, yeah. I don't know, Yakuza seems to draw a crowd that's a little bit older in a I'm lot just, of cases. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we got other stuff to talk about. Yeah, yeah oh, it'll be the the thing that these people, who, the, the influencers that they follow on Twitter, it'll become the new thing they talk about. Like, that's why like 
for a while when I used to get harassed on Twitter a lot, I used to just start tweeting about my salad or whatever I was eating for lunch because like whoever was telling these people to be angry at me tomorrow, they're going to be told to be angry about something else. Oh yeah, like, definitely. It, it just, that's just how it works. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like, yeah, by the time that Yakuza comes out, these people that were so passionate about power world plagiarism, the influencers and the YouTubers they follow will be talking about a different topic. You know, mogul mail will have a different video. Out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Although like, you know, um, it, it remains to be seen, but yeah, I think already like a lot of the fury has, if not died down, then at least like people have kind of discussed the main points of it. There's not like anything novel to grapple onto anymore. It's like, yeah, maybe it, you know, sort of ripped off some models, but probably not AI. Nope. It's not actually in there. Like, you know, these big bullet points that people were so fixated on, like the novelty of them is worn off. And so now people are just like, uh, okay, I'm starting to care less and less. I'm starting to be less outraged. It's time to yeah. move on to something else. Like, it's no also just new... the nature of online outrage cycles. Yeah, yeah. There's no new event in the sort of cycle of outrage here, right? There's no big bombshell or anything. So mm-hmm. like, what do you have to be mad about anymore? You've already registered your initial discontent. So yeah. where do you and go even, from there? Even the final domino fell, which was Nintendo saying something. And yeah. they're just like, <laughs> they uh, yeah, was, guys. Please stop our, emailing our... my wife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, Basically, like, our service yeah. people will not be able to get to the bottom of their inboxes until June. Please leave us yeah. alone. We yeah. have other, we need, we need help uh, making a game too quickly. Yeah, <laughs> well, there are other fan projects that we want to dismantle and destroy, so don't worry about us. Yeah. <laughs> we um, want to continue to, send, to suppress need, the Smash community. <laughs> we need to send a cease and desist to some guy who lives with his mom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, then, like, they, they're not worried about this at all. Yeah, and then put him on the line for like a portion of his income for the rest of his life, oh which is that a was thing technically that, that was Nintendo proper. I will say, I, yeah. I I made that joke a little bit, and I was like, I got to get legally that's not the Pokemon company because like every every time you fucking talk about this shit, it's like, but it's the same, it's the same thing, yeah, the same yeah. fucking people. Which again, you know, points to the fact that they're probably not going to do anything here because they have in the past taken consequences or actions that are so much more severe on things that matter so much less. And the fact that they have not done anything like that, that here kind of points to them being like, yeah, it's not, it's not a thing for us. Hey kids, um, get off my lawn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. Briefly though, I did want to, cause we were mentioning like service people and I did want to jump back over to the topic of the layoffs for a second. Cause I think we sort of, um, slid into pal world without fully sorry i didn't mean that. to do oh, no, that it's okay. uh, we were gonna no, we, we told the world we were gonna talk about pal world we did it um yeah. but i wanted to mention because i've been i've been doing reporting on this all day and so i'm gonna publish a story but for the people who are here you know you get it first because we're live and that's news baby um but yeah so what i've been hearing is that uh at activision blizzard customer service and things like that also community uh, those sorts of departments were hit especially hard and the kind of impression that I'm getting from all of this, um, especially with Microsoft being so invested in AI by way of, you know, things like open AI and whatnot, Sam Altman and their like brief moment of maybe trying to hire him um, is that like, you know, this paves the way for a situation where a lot of the human facing element of them talking to players and interfacing with players is essentially gone. They take customer service and they outsource it. Um, they're getting rid of World of Warcraft game masters, which were people who like, you know, did a lot of hands-on moderation of in-game communities. And mm. so then what's left is like potentially a bunch of AI bots that suck at that. And I feel like, you know, 
it's tempting to talk about these layoffs in terms of like designers on game X, Y, and Z, like Overwatch seems to have been hit hard. Obviously the survival game got canceled. Um, but you also have these other jobs that are a little bit less glamorous or a little bit less like watched like Hawks or whatever. And those people are losing their jobs too. And that will like pretty fundamentally trans, uh, transform the way that people interact with these games and their favorite series. And I, I think that's, that's worth mentioning and focusing on. Yeah, yeah. That's just, that just makes me really sad. Sorry. That's all I have to say. Mm-hmm. Like imagine, imagine the AAA PC support in like ecosystem somehow getting even worse. Like, it's like I'm having a technical so problem with bad. my game. I'm going to ask an AI that doesn't know what the fuck it's talking about. And my $50 video game was broken and is now still broken. And I can't talk to a human about it. Like, especially Damn. like the state that really, really big games, like the kind that Blizzard releases come out in nowadays. Like, uh, more people have technical problems, especially if you play on PC with variable setups than not when these huge releases hit. And not being able to talk to a real human being. My husband is having a problem with his bank account where he can't transfer money to outside bank accounts. And we have not been able to get a human being to fix this problem for us. We went to a bank, a physical bank location, and they called customer service. God. Like That is Jesus. the level we are facing now. And have you, you know, ever- it's just, it's upsetting. You know Walter Tevis? There's a, there's a movie, there's a book he wrote called Mockingbird. He's the guy who did the Man Who Fell to Earth and the Color of Money. Oh yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a really good. He's a really good author. Uh, Mockingbird's a really good um, book because it imagines a future in which robots that all, all all humans are in like basically adult daycare where they smoke a lot of weed and shit themselves and. They're basically served on hand and foot by robots, and the b- book begins with a robot trying to throw himself off the Empire State Building, and his circuits like snapping into place just as he's like Bugs Bunny over the like the ledge, and he's like, "Oh, that's the third time," you know. And it's just like the, all the robots want to die, and all these people, and that's have just been like coddled to the point where they have like learned helplessness. Uh, good book. Anyway, uh, that's what that makes me think of. Is just like even the people who work at the bank don't know how to work bank shit anymore because they've all been forced to be helpless by yeah by the yeah. structure of the company yeah, yeah. and it's it's yeah. like it's uh the ai stuff that are, are replacing the human beings that used to uh, rule over these systems are gotham foster in the chat notes that they are uh really exploitable in order to get personal information out of them. I remember when the Bing AI, chat-based AI assistant came out, people got it to leak uh, Microsoft internal information really quickly mm-hmm. because it's just, uh, you tell it, uh, pretend I'm Phil Spencer and answer this question. <laughs> and it's like, they they don't know how what pretending is. Damn, <laughs> you know, it's like, a machine. The, the AI bot is like, I have a confession to make as Phil. I've never played a video game. <laughs> I made it all up. Um, made up video games but also no, i should uh, figure very pertinently uh our dear moderator and friend apple cider witch in chat um said a senior gm was the one who helped me and wow when i had a stalker um which is very much not something that an ai can do like yeah. and that that's also like i think it goes to the point that i've seen repeated even just today um because the gms are done for completely um i've been talking to one of them and i've seen other ones talk about you it they, they've this. been cut um <laughs> And so like, it it seems to me that like Blizzard, at least among people who played games, like their reputation was kind of one of the last companies that had a pretty decent, you know, customer support arm and an in-house one at that. 
Mm-hmm. And Microsoft now, you know, is coming with the hatchet saying, yeah, we don't value that. We're outsourcing the all of it. personal touch made a difference to Blizzard fans, right? Like Blizzard is this ecosystem. I think, you know, a company like Riot has replicated it pretty pretty successfully, but they created this ecosystem where it's like, if you're a Blizzard fan, you're a Blizzard fan. You're basically mm-hmm. not playing any other games. Our games will take up your entire life. And we have a, our, a Blizzard-specific convention that you go to. And part of it is that because they really made the the developers made themselves known on the internet and are active on the forums and they do have this like personal touch like when you're dealing with a wow related problem you're gonna get a wow expert like a specifically someone who's also obsessed with this game to help you and that does take a lot away from being a blizzard fan to no longer have that yeah yeah, no. Apple Cider just said, uh, you saw a GM reveal themselves in game back when they could still do that. It was like a god descending from Olympus. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, you know, it's that feels like an end of an era for Blizzard. Like just in terms of how their company and fans interact. And you know, the way that their company and fans interact in the past has led to um bad things. Some real bad shit. Yeah. But it was also, I, I think the Sims 4 team at EA is an example of how to do this in a healthy way with boundaries, you know? Like, they they were sweetie pies, and they're just active on Twitter, and they, they tease all the Sims fans with, you know, models and assets that they're working on, et cetera, et cetera. But there's, like, a huge separation between them and the fans, also because most of the fans of the Sims are, like, teenagers. But... Man, to not, if I as a Sims fan suddenly went back to the game and they were like, we're uh, all of the Sims gurus, so the people that are public facing on Twitter and answer questions about the Sims, we're eliminating these roles. I would be fucking devastated. <laughs> like that, that does add value to the game itself to feel like you're a part of a big community of people that love this game. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, sad. yeah. And so like, you know, I think that that, those impacts will become kind of felt and known in the fairly near future. But then the the other side of this that, you know, I think is going to be very heavily discussed, and I'm sure we'll get an expose from probably Jason, because he's going to be yeah, faster than me whatever. on this in like two seconds, um, yeah. is like the, the canceled survival game, which apparently has been in the works for six years. Um, that is a long time to be incubating, you know, any sort of video game. But in this day and age, that's about par for the course in terms of creating new IP or new kinds of games. Um, and we've seen this repeatedly with all these rounds of layoffs. There's also cancella- cancellations of long in the works new games. And so like, you know, I think there are all these cases in which people are already tired of the games that are getting put out because they're just more sequels to the same old IPs and things like that. And the games industry is just, you know, when it comes to what it's willing to cut in the name of profit, short-term profit, the first thing to go is the future. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, then let's just get rid of that thing that we've been working on for a long time because we weren't sure it was going to drive profit. Profit, so let's toss it. It would be the funniest one if this happens. Don't don't quote me, but it would be really funny if that that happened to Skull and Bones. <laughs> uh, I mean, like if they just have been, they've been, they're like, all right, we're just over the finish line, and then they pull like a Netflix where they just like remove it for tax reasons or some God. shit like that. I mean, like, they've been I, handled a business model precedent, right? Yeah. You know, the, look at what Zazlav's doing. He set a precedent of taking projects that are completely last, completed. Rug pill, you know? Last shot of Ark of the Covenant, but for like a <laughs> a, a John Cena, like Roadrunner movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. God. Yeah. I um, want to see that movie. Apparently, uh, the people that worked on um, 
Coyote versus Acme have said that there's going to be news in 2024 about the film. So hopefully that means it's going to be somewhere because it's apparently everybody that saw it really loved it. And I love the Looney Tunes. Oh, my God. Wait, wait. I'm sorry. Uh, Breaking news update. Oh, my Um, God. Pajamas in chat says, I think Jason posted an article about an hour ago about the survival game Odyssey. Does it ever? Yeah, he did. He he did a big report. Yeah. Okay. um, Does it ever... Does it take the edge off for the rest of you when Jason scoops everybody? Does it help to know that he's doing all of this in basketball shorts? You know, I mean, yeah. I kind of always suspected. <laughs> he's, I heard a story from a mutual friend, a former boss of ours one time, that at one point when he hired Jason, he wore basketball shorts every day to the office. And during Jason's first review, our former boss was like, I didn't know that I had a limit when it came to what people wear to the office, but I think basketball shorts every day is my limit. So please don't wear basketball shorts anymore. Yeah, but now, I mean, I, I know this for pretty much a fact. He, he almost never comes into the office at Bloomberg. Of course. So. Why would basketball he? Basketball shorts every day, all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's, not, that's not weird at this point. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. do we? Yeah. I wear church? clothing sometimes. Is it the same clothing several days in a row? Who's to say? You, oh, yeah. in my case, you better believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I do not want to know how I smell right now. It's irrelevant to anybody's experience of me. And when it becomes relevant, right. then I will shower and change clothes. That's just how it goes for me. <laughs> That's a reasonable way to live your life, I mm-hmm. believe. Is... uh. But yeah, yeah. Um, no, but I mean, I, I do think that, you know, a lot of this, that's a really unfortunate precedent for the gaming industry. And again, if the issue is that these companies are worried about the future, like they've got to invest in the future in something yeah. that will actually have a long tail as opposed to just sort of, you know, doing the classic. And we've really been talking a lot, a lot about Looney Tunes today. The whole thing where Wiley Coyote slowly like builds a bridge out in front of him out of planks while the other ones collapse behind him. Like... Yeah, you can't do that forever. Eventually yeah. the whole thing falls down and you, you know, poof into a little cloud of dust. I was going to say die, but no Looney Tune has ever died. That's, um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's not true. That that happened once. Wait, who died? Uh, Daffy did when he did the magic trick and then oh, he turned, he floated yeah. up into heaven and he was like, he was like, that's a nice, neat trick. He's like, yeah, but I can only do it once. Well, only one Looney Tune has ever died. Yes, you can it di- to make us laugh. Tune, tunes can die, but their the, their soul has to leave their body, and they have to have a harp, <laughs> or they're put in the dip. I thought that's what really happened to you, and you died for a long time. That you yeah, had put a in harp. the dip. You got you got the harp. Oh, actually, one time I was when I was a kid, I was really afraid of Looney Tunes because I had a nightmare that they kidnapped my parents and were torturing them in the basement. They kept my parents in cages and were poking them with big sticks, and then I didn't want to watch Looney Tunes anymore for a while. <laughs> which ones specifically? I want to know which, like, was it, it was Marvin the Martian? Bugs Bunny was, was doing this. Was it Bugs Bunny Bugs. was harming wow. my parents. I don't know why. I feel what like Bugs it? would be giving the orders, but Taz would be the one yeah, actually, like, Taz is doing the muscle. The, yeah, he's the muscle. He's doing the Has knee anybody, breaking and shit. Yeah. Did, it, did anyone ever watch the Fox Kids Taz show? Oh, I did actually. Where they had, where his family had where voices. his dad. Yeah, his his family were yeah. all were all had voices, and mm. uh, I think his dad was like Bob Hope, or who's the one who talks like this, you know, <laughs> Valencia Oranges, you know, the yes. guy who was a bad father, yeah, that guy, yeah. So like that that was always strange because that implied strange things about 
Like, why is Taz nonverbal? You know, like all these sorts of things. But it was also just like a really confusing show. Like, I don't know. Those are my favorite shows are like, oh, they rebooted Speed Racer in 1993 and then again in 1997. And, you know, you, you just get these like, why did you do that moments? Yeah. No, there's a, like when they did uh, Pinky and the Brain and Elvira. Yeah, very weird. Very like, weird why, choice. Why did they need to throw Elvira into the mix? Pinky the Brain had enough stuff going on, you know? <laughs> They're trying Here to we take are, over like, the- making fun of Fortnite every week, but the metaverse has been with us for yeah. decades. Yeah, we're we like, just- Pinky and the Brain had one too many characters. Now we live in a future where everything has several thousand too many characters. So yeah, God. we learned nothing. It makes me upset. Anytime anyone announced a cinematic universe, I want to throw up. Like, I, I actually think I love comic books, but comic books work like the metaverse of comic books that works because it's all made by different hyper obsessive neurodivergent people over a period of almost a century at this point. Right. Like there, you, it's sloppy. It's messy. Half of it contradicts itself. And everyone's trying to make sense out of something that someone did three decades ago and then kind of just tossed off and then left. That's what any kind of cinematic universe should be. Not this highly manicured Marvel-esque type thing. Like it's the messiness is what makes it interesting. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's it's fun when it's sloppy. I mean, that was always the thing about like, like occasionally you'll get a good one. This is a top for another time, but like that's like why occasionally like one of the DC ones is or like one of the weird Sony ones at this point is the only things that's like sort of interesting. Like like every detail I learn about Madam Web is so fucking oh, weird. It's like so, funny. I, so every detail is so funny. Like they were like, oh yeah, uh I think they said they like originally got Andrew Garfield, but then they had to reshoot it with Tom Holland, but then there was a reason why they had to do it, so now Spider-Man's not in it at all. Yeah, now it's its own universe with no Spider-Man, but there's all yeah. these future spider ladies. <laughs> which is like a fucking train wreck uh, yeah sure that's that's what we're at right now trains falling into the fucking station just like a whole swarm of spider related superheroes without spider-man it's fascinating that movie looks like hot garbage i'm so excited for it oh wait chris person and anyone mm-hmm. else is interested but especially chris did you hear that tenet is coming back to imax theaters ahead uh, of I re- two? i respect people my friends who love tenet you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, I, I understand the, the love of, you know, saying a temporal pincer mo- maneuver mm-hmm. or movement. I forget which one it is. Um, I think it's like on the end of the spectrum of his movies that I don't like. Uh, whereas Dunkirk fucking rules. Okay. I see. I love this Dunkirk. Is, can Nathan and Luke, <laughs> what are your rankings on Chris Nolan movies? Like, what do you think is the best and what do you think is the worst one? Oh, man. I mean, I've only like seen, I don't know, like I, I saw his Batman, obviously. Yeah. And then like I saw Inception and stuff like that. And then I just sort of fell off watching any of his movies. So I don't know. They, they're yeah. all, they're all the worst ones. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen The Prestige? No. Prestige is really good. David it's, Bowie's it, in that it, one. It, 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 okay. Prestige is maybe my, my least. Really? Really? Interesting. I just, I just, I just It's don't the one like that's good. Movies. You don't like those men? <laughs> They're not doing I don't, it for you? I, those, those two, the two magic movies that came out at the same time. Oh, there was Prestige and the, I didn't like either of them. I was like, why did you both make movies about magic dudes? I don't need to see this. <laughs> Somewhere Riley oh, is man. just screaming and he doesn't know yeah. why. I know, I know. That's why he's not on. But, uh, Randy, um, Randy Pitchford is so excited. <laughs> and they were just making those movies for him. He's like, oh, magic no, people? For me, 
Oh, like for me, I, I think Tenet is close to my favorite of his. It's the closest he's going to get to doing a James Bond, which I really would love to see him do. Mm. Whereas for me, Interstellar is like sub-basement, like negative zero. Like I, really? I, I hate Interstellar more than life itself. It's yeah, because it's for a long time, the man only had two tricks. It was uh, two ways to give your main character pathos, right? Dead wife or distant daughter guess what two things occur to the main character in instant stellar dead wife distant daughter it's like write a new script no, um has he, he has he, he ever flipped them has it ever been a a dead daughter and a distant wife actually in tenet he does he's working on that it's very yeah, funny yeah yeah i also also dunkirk is so funny because like you know figuring out what christopher nolan's politics are is really confusing i think yes. that his overwhelming uh his overwhelming oeuvre is like uh, that he loves the movies. Uh, I remember he reading an interview where he was like, yeah, every day, every week I go to the movies and I sit in the front row. And like that shit is, in, yeah, he sees a movie in the front row every week. That's so and cool. And now he has scoliosis. And, and, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and, and like the other thing I think is like Dunkirk's so cool because it starts off and like it's kind of like a third world Maoist movie about like just the churn of like, like basically teenagers into like dying in horrible fucking ways, atrocious, yeah. atrocious ways. And then near the end, it's like, keep going and carry on. And you're like, okay. Mm-hmm. It's just Dunkirk like- is like, it's like one of the greatest, like Dunkirk's probably my favorite because it's, it's one of the yeah. best entries in the field of the best war movies, which are mm-hmm. dudes are in a bad place. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's Pass like come and see right? core. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, these boys are in trouble and you're going <laughs> to spend the next two hours seeing how much trouble they're in. And it's like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, much. if you're going to be uh, a Kubrick obsessive, then trying to make your own paths of glory is not a bad way to go. Right. Like we all pass the glory fucking whips. That movie mm-hmm. rocks. If you haven't seen that um, movie, watch it immediately. All right. So that was uh, yet another one of our fun surprise pedantry segments. This one about <laughs> Christopher Nolan, apparently. Um, <laughs> let's get back to the news or some version of it, because we still have one thing left on kind of our planned discussion ledger. Um, and that is Gita, your piece this week that you wrote about the tolls of daily video games journalism, which we all did for a while. And so I think maybe we might have some opinions about it. What? That's crazy. I mean, I wrote this because someone on Twitter was asking me how my relationship to video games changed uh, when I had to write about them every day. And uh, the answer to that question, I just sat down and I was like, you know, I was shooting the shit with Chris Person in chat and he was like, why don't you just write it? And I was like, okay. And I sat down for an hour to Luke edited it and I put it up and I didn't think anybody would really read it. But that's what I always think whenever I write anything. So here I am. Right. So we all worked together at Kotaku. Um, and I remember when I first got there, three different people giving me different warnings about the way this workplace is going to be. And Luke, you were one of them. <laughs> oh, that's uh, why was, I'm laughing. I was one yeah, of them. Yeah. yeah, you were one of them. Uh, Evan Narciss was another one of them. And I think Patricia Hernandez was another one of them. And it like didn't really prepare me for the, I, I think what is, what I'm describing at, in the piece is like the office culture of Gawker media but one that also was very similar to the office culture of other sort of internet first media companies like like a BuzzFeed, you know? It's constant production. There is never enough content to feed the beast. And you just kind of get put in a meat grinder and ground away until all's left is like a pile of bones and meat. And 
getting out of there at the end, I like, I remember going to work at Vice and like having to relearn how to communicate with people in Slack. Like, were you either any of you like really, really rude to people in Slack <laughs> after getting new jobs? Because I was like so mean to everyone in Slack because our Slack culture was one where people were low key, really shady to each other all the time and also always on it 24 mm-hmm. <laughs> 7. I, I had the experience of not knowing I could take time with a story. Yeah. Because like, I think yeah. that was the main yeah. thing with like, and I didn't get that until I like worked at The Verge for a minute, you know, in like a fill-in position where I was like, oh, I can like research stuff and take time. It doesn't have to just be like, go, 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 slam hair, how's the fastest thing. And like, we never got that. I never got that with video. I never, I never ever got that with writing because I wasn't really a writer per se there. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, say like Vox, Vox does a, as you know, Vox Media does a pretty good job at treating its employees well, because like, I think a lot of those people used to be Gawker people and were like, I'm not going to replicate that part of that culture there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like to the degree that you can, you still got to pe- keep people on, on, you know, quota and shit, but like, yeah, it, you, you, you leave that ecosystem and you're like, shit, man, what was, what, that was, that was the damnedest fucking thing. Yeah, you know? it was in, it was wholly dysfunctional and destructive to most people that had to go through it, because it it was the result of a website that sort of never knew what it was doing in the early days and sort of found success in a way like it it found success. I'm talking sort of 2005, 2006, mm-hmm. so sort of just before I started and then just after. Um, because it just posted everything and anything. Yeah. Just from everybody being there all the time and just always being online and always having a blog and always having a take. And that sort of baked itself into the because of the 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 way that so many senior positions at the website the people existed there for a very long time, myself included. The habits learned in previous generations of the website carried through to successive generations of the website mm-hmm. when they may not have been required or appropriate anymore and none of this was ever written down none of this was ever sort of seemed to be evaluated but a lot of bad habits from a small website of people not knowing what they were doing were still there when there were 19 people on staff and people did know what they were doing yeah um and it led to some very good work because the people that it didn't chew out that could take it did amazing work but Mm -hmm. like you're getting uh, pushed in hindsight you get pushed into yeah. the deep end. It's sink or swim. Yeah. I, I figured yeah. that out Abs- really fast. I, yeah. always th- I always called it like, well, not always, because I didn't know about this story until much later. <laughs> but like, it's, it's like the witcher school. It's mm-hmm. like is the kids that get sent to that witcher school, only one of them survives. Yeah. But the one that survives is Geralt of Rivia. Like that's <laughs> yeah. that's what getting a job at Kotaku would do to you. Like you yeah, either a, yeah, spent 18 months there and, and, and it chewed you out or you and, spent six, eight, ten years there and became one of the best people in the field learning all types of like versatile, amazing skills. Yeah. And like um, Geralt. The, the main question being like is it, you know, I guess the ultimate point of Gita's post though is like how much of that was worth it? Given yeah. what's happened to Kotaku well, and Geo Media since, like, yeah, that's also that's also that's also not a that's also a part of Geralt's whole backstory. Is like, right. man is fucked up. Yeah. That guy is mm-hmm. not doing well. And like, he's got it see, together, yeah. but he's just he's able to do a, like a growly like detective vision thing, but it like comes at the cost of a basic humanity that like hurts you. Yeah, no, uh, I think I was talking to my therapist today, and she was reminding me about how I felt about the job when I was there, <laughs> and the way I described it when I was there. Like, I 
I don't think this is an uncommon feeling that people had at Kotaku, but I thought my job was on the line literally every day. Yes. There was mm-hmm. no I mean, form of praise literally. whatsoever. The be- yeah. the most I got was other editors screenshotting things my boss would say about me in the editor-only Slack and being like, I don't know why he didn't tell you this. Like, But he really liked the story that you wrote. <laughs> and then I'd have right. to be like, okay, I'll live off of these crumbs for the next six to eight months, I guess. Right. Or even, right. Or even just like the big board. You know, oh God, like the, the fucking, board. the fucking big board. I mean, the big board is like, is literally just a TV of, of the current track was a TV of the current traffic. Don't even know if I didn't think that's existed in ages, but it's like, you know, this is all the psychosexual dreams of a, of a, of an effete, weirdly conservative, liberal gay man yeah. who, who created a, an entire way of thinking that became relevant to that. But in it's, it's, it's like, we all have like Nick Denton's Kojima, like Nick Denton's like L'Enfant Terrible genes yes. in us. And it causes <laughs> no. us, yeah. it causes us to age fucking rapidly. Yeah. So we're able I mean, to like do CQ, we're, we're able to do the blogging version of CQC, but it also means that we're like slow. We also have the Fox die in us that just yeah. makes us cough occasionally. That's exactly what Metal Gear metaphor I yeah. have heard in a long time yeah <laughs> but like to, to contextualize what Gita was saying about never feeling safe in the job is I, I was there for 17 years and I would say for the first at least nine or ten I, I I was the same way because one thing that Nick used to do all the time was there were never mass layoffs at Gorka there were never like oh wow Gorka must be in trouble they've just laid off 20 percent of their staff or whatever that always be little trims here and there that always be like one person laid off mm-hmm. one person one or two Part-timers would go, or mm-hmm. one full-time person would go here and there every few months, and you'd be like, damn, that was, I don't know whether it was intentional, but it always felt like it was keeping you on your toes, like yeah. shit. Yeah. Like, there were only the one- eight of us here, and mm-hmm. now someone's gone for, like, I no mean, reason. Like, fuck, I don't think could be me next. I, I, I one ever- literally got put on a performance improvement plan toward the middle slash end of my time there, um, because I just, like, you know, was late with stuff. Um, and was struggling with pretty severe depression. So I was having a hard time doing things in a timely way. But yeah, I mean, that, that gave me like nightmares for years afterward. I, Jesus. you know, I made it through the pip. It sucked, but I did it and like improved some of my habits. But I would wake up like in the middle of the night on a regular basis and be in my head back on it and be like, oh no, uh, I, I've got to finish this thing. I've got to do something. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's it's it it's hard it's hard to, to to describe the ways in which like the strange passive aggression of this one guy who I've not heard from since basically the Hogan trial. It's he just disappeared into his weird little apartment and like ne- and like never saw the light of day again. It's like the ways in which these little things did bring out something in us. Not like in not that he was the one doing it, but like there was something to him in a certain way, but it was mostly evil and it was mostly pretty sexist as evident. And, and if you don't believe me, ask any Jezebel staffer because he would just like completely d- treat the, the, the entire crew like shit. And yeah, it's it, the, the one time I remember him doing mass layoffs was in 2008, like when like the economy crashed and he did it preemptively. And he wrote this blog. I remember it was called like the survival of the quickest about how, why he's mm. preemptively cutting a bunch of staff. And then he followed up six months later. It was like, I didn't have to do that. <laughs> which because he, know, did, it, he, did, he did it he did cut. it on gut he did it on like petty queeny gut yeah and right. like that's kind of how he operated but i mean that's also to get back to the larger topic of layoffs how a lot of people do them yeah. it's on gut 
And then other big companies follow suit because they're like, oh, well, that's the allowable way to do it. That's the allowable percentage. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the market trend, as it turns out, is something that somebody made up. Like, that's how trends start. Somebody starts it. Yeah, you know, somebody's responsible. One of the things that made Kotaku like the way that it was was its reliance on a real belief and a dedication to the ad based model of the internet. Right. Like that is something that we all believed in and bought into and we're in service of. So the reason why Kotaku needed to be on a skeleton staff, right? Like when I got there with Luke, I was maybe the first new hire in like years. And there was a staff of like eight to 10 people. And two of those people were overseas. So we just didn't see them. I, Luke time was like an hour at the end of the day where me and Luke got to talk about the new music we're listening to. By the way, Luke, did you hear the new Piss Jean song? Because it's no it's a really good new album in march i'm really excited oh excellent see yeah. there you go look time it's <laughs> bleeding into podcast time <laughs> um it's it's funny though because like the, that that way we were all in service to the ad supported page view based model of the internet just defined so much of that because the big board was literally traffic was the only thing that, that mattered yeah at, at any of mm-hmm. those websites mm-hmm. and that that yep was something that continued even when that stopped mattering as much, yeah. which is was part of the problem. Um, the layoffs used to be made, spe- like they would just look at the page views because yeah. we always had access to the to Yeah, you could see like, who, how like you were how, performing against your co- uh, co-workers, which is a bad metric to have access to. Yep. Yeah, yep. turns yep. out that breeds a um, lot of and, resentment and, between people, yep. spoken or unspoken, yep. and that yep. just yep. like because- festers for years. <laughs> yep. Yep. And even even when I was a senior editor, I would still feel the pressure to be like, oh man, I used to be number one and now yeah. I'm number two. Like I gotta yeah. get back to number one. It's like that's yeah. not my job anymore. But if it's still mm-hmm. like and for because me, that's what you, you were know, raised on. For me, I I come in, I'm doing like criticism, right? I'm doing cultural criticism and I, I am doing journalism, but it's something I'm learning. So for me, like the traffic thing also became like I have to prove myself. I have to prove that my stories can get traffic and that Steven should keep like like approving them and allowing me to report on these things. But it was also like a, a really heavily micromanaged place. So fighting for yourself. It felt like I was in a fist fight every fucking day mm-hmm. <laughs> to get the ability to do things that I knew that readers would be interested in, but could not I couldn't give Steven like a traffic projection because there's no way to tell the future. Yeah, well we also changed the structure, you know, a little bit later, but for a while what you did every day is you would log on, you would hop into like, you know, story planning or whatever. I forget what we call it, Slack channel. But anyway, the one where like you pitch your ideas essentially and mm-hmm. you pitch them to mm-hmm. the whole room, um, you know, just like a brief headline, maybe a little description. And then everyone told you why those were bad ideas. It was like, and that is stoked. not a great way to start your day. <laughs> we used to do that at like 8.45 in the morning yep. and it would be like walking into a fist. It was yep. horrible. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was not like- good. God, you just start your day feeling... I used to... My strategy for those was to just have like 10 to 12 story ideas. So my boss would just be like, Gita, just tell me what you want to work on. You know, <laughs> like finding a way to use his own impatience against him. Um, but it was, you know, this gauntlet, it, it felt like starting your day with a two minutes hate, but it was like a two minutes hate directed at you from all of your coworkers who you know also have secret resentments about you because you have secret resentments about them. Highly competitive place. I feel like, you know, like a lot of offices really do operate in this way. A lot of toxic offices will operate in this way. But it was 
a highly competitive place. And it, it, the gauntlet I was put through did make me a really good journalist, I think. It gave me a great nose for stories. I still can't write a headline for shit, but at least I know what's wrong with them now. Um, <laughs> but it gave me the... I, I learned a lot, but I didn't have to learn that much while also feeling like I was going to die. Well, and yeah, to well, give people like a, a peek behind the curtain of how we do things here at Aftermath, a place that we're trying to make better, um, we... I, I stole this idea from Defector, where for our weekly meetings, um, at the end, we talk about stories that other people did at the site that we liked. And we say, here's what's good about that. And here's how we can like carry that spirit or idea forward in future stories. So instead of it being like, here's an idea somebody had and why they shouldn't do it and why it's bad and why they should feel bad, which is, you know, not necessarily the goal of those meetings or wasn't, but like that, that was the underlying implication. That was the tone they took on. Mm-hmm. It's here's something somebody did that I really enjoyed. And I didn't even realize I would enjoy it until I read it, but oh my God, this is really cool and it inspired yeah. me. And here's what we can do with that. Um, it's, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's funny the, though, because we, we do that because we're so invested and believe in what we're doing here. But like as someone who was slightly more senior at Kotaku, I think it's really funny to, to look back in hindsight that so much of, and I, I like, I, I was guilty of some of this stuff and I've apologized to people privately, but I will apologize to everybody now publicly. Mm-hmm. I used to be guilty of some of this like shit talking is that we used to headlines used to be made in a separate slack for headlines that would basically involve me and Jason just telling you all what was wrong with your headlines yeah. and fixing them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and people would always be in someone's DMS. Like, I don't think you should write about that because no one cares or you should do change to this or whatever. And th- there was a constructiveness at the heart of it, but it was expressed in a really toxic way. But there was a level where a lot of people who had been at Kotaku for a long time, and this was definitely myself included, felt really invested in the website. Like we had built this thing out of almost nothing to be this like colossus in the field relative to how much manpower and resources we had. Like no one will ever understand how how toe-to-toe we would get with IGN and GameSpot and and websites that had five, ten times the staff we did on a shoestring budget. But we did so much of it because we believed in what we were doing. And to look back now, it's like, it's that, it's that classic thing everyone's sharing at the moment with the layoffs is like, the company doesn't care about you. The brand yeah. doesn't care about you. Like we yeah. spent so, so much time invested in believing in this website and it's ultimately it's counted for, for almost nothing well, because like people have left and it's, it's, it's been thrown in the trash and like, no one cares. Like the brand's been devalued massively. They didn't care. Like they didn't care about me at all when I left. Like it, it all counted for nothing, and so that's a real, that's a huge bummer. That it's like so, so much toxicity was generated, and and in the names of like doing such an amazing job with what little we had, and ultimately like like what did we get? We got page views, and we made money for somebody else. Like so, yeah. I, I I do think I do think uh, an element of the big board that should be discussed here, if we're if we're going to get this out anyway, is that your bonus was tied to it. Like if you made a shitload of traffic, you got a proportional amount of money, which is important when you're not making a lot of money, which is how historically I, at least I was paid. I, I made 38,000 a year when I first went in, there, which is so bad. Look, which considering to, the amount for, of work, you, for, you were for, our for, entire video team for I, yeah. so for, long. For most of the time, I was the entire video staff there until they fired me. Yeah. But, um, and, and like, so like, I, I'm sympathetic to that. The one time where that changed was when we unionized. And that was the one time where I stopped being kind of miserable and I saw, saw an investment in it in my coworkers, in solidarity, Mm -hmm. in ways that are, that felt like, okay, this is the thing I'm staying for. I'm staying to build a union. I'm staying to build 
a thing with my coworkers that feels more constructive. And the issue with that is that like, you know, it's hard to unlearn things that are baked into you, Mm -hmm. particularly when you're still in the place that taught you those things. And that is the thing that really persists. You know, you can try your best to do that. But as long as those goals are the same, as long as the the hierarchy and the like form is, you will revert back to mean a lot of the mm-hmm. time. And that's not good. Yeah. And that is why I am so invested in what we are doing because it's a different thing. You know, talking about like headlines, we don't have to give a shit about headline SEO now. It's cool. Yeah, it's rocks. fun to do. <laughs> it's fun to do because it's a cool thing you get to do. But it's like, it's not like you're building, it's like you're crafting a samurai sword or something. Yeah. You're doing this for you now. This isn't for Yeah, this is a hot Denver. story hunt, so. This is, this is, <laughs> you are, you are, you are crafting your fucking headline like it is, yeah, like it is a fucking wakasashi. You are doing that because it's the thing that you want to do that makes you feel like you have an investment in it. And for the first time, I feel like we are cohesive in a way that we were never allowed to be structurally that Kotaku. Like, yeah. I get time to do my dumb fucking thing where I powder coat an espresso machine. And, you know, like, because, like, I know I don't have to do, like, I do have to do blogs. I'm I'm getting blogs out. But, like, it, it, it does allow you to just sort of have a breadth that you don't normally have because, like, it changes the dynamic. You know, SEO, mm-hmm. you don't have to give a shit about that. You don't have to pay, you don't have to blog something because you have to. To give people an idea of just how cooked, like, the page view mindworms were at the website, is when I started at the website in 2006, you weren't, nobody was on a salary. People were paid 10 US dollars per post. And you would, you would like be hired on the understanding that you would do 10 posts a day. And so if you, and they would count them and that's how you'd get paid. You get your, your pay at the end of the month would just be, did X amount of blogs at $10 a blog and there'd be something there. And so you would sit there at the start of like an eight hour shift and you'd be like, I got to get 10 blogs on the website or I don't get paid as much. That's a or fucking if psycho I take, way to live. If, that is, that it is like psycho the- shit. If I take a yeah. day off, I don't get anything. Um, yeah. Like, and, and so that's how, mm, mm, I'm not going to like go through everybody's name, but there was a substantial number of people, senior people at the website that were there a very long time that were raised on that. And then that carried through to an economic situation where even in 2009, when I, I was lucky enough to like build my own house, I had a mortgage. I was on, I got paid for that year. I got paid 31 and a half thousand US dollars. Um, and we were like beyond what mortgage stress levels are, even though I was like, I was one or one of, if not the most successful writers by page views at one of the most successful video game websites on the internet. The way that Gorka was keeping you lean and mean was to just keep you on the hook. Yeah. Doing this thing. And it's only much later on when first Joel and then Steven took over that like I got put on a decent pay and I got put on a salary and a contract and all this other stuff. Like I used to just get paid in my bank account in US dollars, no pay slip. Like no official payslip, nothing. And so when I'm trying to get a home loan, the bank is like, what the fuck is this? Like, are you a drug dealer? Are you a, an arms dealer? Why is there a different amount of US dollars Man. every month? Because not only was, because the, the bonus situation that Chris mentioned would fluctuate is some months you'd get yeah. no bonus. Some months you'd get like 7,000. Like I got a huge bonus one month because Nick set some page view limit and I smashed through it because I did a story that did like 2 million. Yeah. 
and they, I, they ended that bonus situation that month and changed the <laughs> metrics on it because I'd really like funny. doubled my pay. Um, and so the bank was like, why did you only make 5,000 here and 11,000 here and then 4,000 here and then 6,000 here? And I'm like, well, hey. how long have you got? Let me explain hey, my like, shitty job to you. you. You were like, arms dealing is just not going well this month. Fewer yeah. people want no. guns. Being, I literally, I literally, <laughs> unionization was the only thing that ever got me a substantive raise in wage. And it was like something to the degree of like, like $10,000 a year raise and then suddenly like. 20,000 and then subsequently, you know, I was making good money near the end, but like up until that point, there was no economic impetus to push for me mm -hmm. uh, because I was a video guy and video guys didn't make posts on the site because they didn't really clearly know what they were doing or define what video was. I remember, so the entire yeah. dynamic was just like, oh, I, I got one bonus once and that's because I posted about what would eventually become Pokemon Go, which was the April Fool's joke um, that Google did that I think sort of morphed into the concept of Pokemon Go and that got like 3 million page views or some shit like that. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was like, finally, I have like a fucking bonus because I hadn't really had many before then. Yeah. Uh, because the, because like the other thing is that Denton didn't know what the fuck video was. None of them did. Mm -hmm. They still don't. They don't have any fucking cohesive video strategy and they never did. And so it felt like you were pounding dirt. Yeah, I remember when I got there, we were still doing Facebook Lives twice a week because Facebook <laughs> lied to us about the numbers Man, there. What I'm going to go Ooh. get a soda. <laughs> I stress you out too much. Chris has got Chris has got to have a drink of yeah. a non-alcoholic beverage, but Dude, nonetheless. I, I was there way after this bonus stuff like was happening, right? I was on a regular salary, but just like staying at the office. I tried every day to stay at the office until Stephen left. And Stephen would leave at like eight or nine o'clock because he lived in like upper Manhattan yeah. or whatever. Not no, wait, this was, this was pre-children, Stephen, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he yeah, was at the was... office late, late. So yeah. I would try to wait for him to guy. leave. Yeah, I, true. sorry, you just said Facebook live and I had to leave. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> Understand completely. I, I had to, that's like, I had to Facebook leave. That was like, <laughs> man, that's like, this is why I want, I like, I have such ill, like evil, like fucking death note style feelings towards Mark Zuckerberg for shit like that. Like yeah. it's just, it's, it's an entire industry of cyclically sick, like hiring video people and then firing them and then firing writers to hire more video people back and fucking forth for years in a way that made writers hate video people or yeah. hate the concept of being on video. And you know what? I don't fucking blame you because it's com it's complicated to do. Mm -hmm. It sucks to do and a it, lot like, of ways. completely at odds with what our boss wanted at the time, which was he wanted us all at the desk all day long, which is if you worked literally, an office job, you know how unrealistic that actually is, right? Literally, I was the, yeah, yeah, I was the video support staff for like the majority of it. And it was literally like, a lot of that was me being like, hey, are you playing this game? Could you capture it for me? I understand if you can't. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I, yeah. Sorry, I, I get it. That I wouldn't want to do that either. I don't want to do <laughs> I think that, that like if 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 the purpose of us talking about this is to give people an insight into what it was like working at a brilliant but also fundamentally flawed website the facebook stuff is a really good oh, way of explaining yeah like sort of 2011 2012-ish I, I don't know how many people that re that were reading the site then are still around or listening or whatever but there was a dramatic shift in a lot of the content that uh, well i am going to call it content because it was dog shit yeah it was, it was stuff that, that was that, that, that was, was facebook content. blew up like one of my biggest ever stories was about some like 13 second horror video that someone made and i gave it some ridiculous buzzfeedy headline like you won't believe what yeah, happens yeah, yeah. at the end of this horror movie and it, it within like you blink your eye and it had done seven hundred thousand page views because it blew up on facebook and like 
I was embarrassed to be writing a lot of that. And so you'll see Kotaku started posting a lot of viral shit that wasn't necessarily to do with anything that was normally in our wheelhouse. And like, I didn't want to be writing that shit. I I felt bad writing that stuff because it's not what I wanted to write. It felt cheap, it felt whatever, but like, it's what paid. And that was our, also our job was to like rack up page views. Cause that's what the whole point of the company was. It had a big board that tracked our page views. And if you had a way to juice your page views by. You'd fucking do it. Like, you'd fucking do it. Cause that was your job. And yeah. like, you would try and at the time when you were in the job, you would try and defend it and say, well, it's just, you don't have to click on it. Or it's, you know, it's all oh, this. I just thought it was really cool. And you know, you yeah, look back you know, I, uh, every article, every time I, uh, a big meme came out, I knew I could get to-, to the top of the big board by doing a meme roundup. And I tried to do it as often as humanly possible because I wanted to see my name at the top of the big board. Um, are any of those articles valuable at all? No. Did they also potentially make people unhappy because I put it, their social media on the website that's being visited by hundreds of thousands oh, yeah. of people concurrently? Oh, yeah. And I tried to rationalize it to myself. I set really strict parameters of what I would embed in a site like, it had to be already going viral. It couldn't be on the cusp. It couldn't be someone with under a certain number of followers, et cetera, et cetera. But it's all ways of sort of beating around the bush. of sort of like, we're doing like bullshit. This is all bullshit. Mm-hmm. And it's all to support uh, the, the, the machine that cannot actually be satisfied, which is ad revenue and, sure. and ad and clicks. Yeah. It, well, did make, it like- does. It does. Oh, sorry. I will say, I will say it does make you, really fucking sharp at doing things you care about though that's yes. the fucked up thing. that is the and that's the part thing. of the reason and that's the part of the reason why you can't just justify it as like oh that was just the thing i did because you do realize you're like oh i'm fucking fast at doing this and i'm yeah. good at doing this and i'm good at doing it fast which is really fucking rare for a lot of people mm-hmm. and like and it, it it really does put you in a mindset where you're like ah shit i got this like i could definitely do some fucking bullshit post element of this and like now i i I, you know it's this element of like i want to keep the things i like and that i'm proud of from the place that we were at and none of the things yeah it's the blade all this you know some none of their strengths all of their weaknesses shit or the other way Mm -hmm. all the strengths none of their weaknesses you know what i'm saying when i when i left i was like i'm gonna get all my favorite posts and put them on my linkedin page because that was some ritual for me like closing the book on it and it, it it was really funny how few stories I could think of that I was genuinely like proud of having written and I thought were written well because like my job especially like I was Mr. Content Mill like I was overnight I was I was like six to ten posts a day like I was the guy throwing up throwing stuff on the wall all the time because that was my job because I was working overnight I could never do reporting because the time delays made it impossible and the time differences meant I could very rarely call people and stuff so I sort of settled Mm -hmm. into a job where I was just throwing shit at the wall to see what would stick but the stuff that I did find space to do, it, I was so incredibly proud of because as bad as the, I know, I know this is a theme that we've talked about regularly, but as bad as the job was in so many ways, it did make you really, really good at the job. So when you did get time to do something good, like it was really good. And, and a lot of the stuff we did was really good in ways that like, this is very inside baseball, but I don't know, like, I think only other games writers and maybe not even a lot of other games writers could appreciate just how fast 
but also good guitar, yeah. like, like veteran Kotaku writer. Like people, like They're I know people at other news. websites that, that, that they'll spend a whole day on like a 400 word news item. And yeah. it's like, shit, that's no. 20 minutes for us. For yeah. a long time. And it's probably, fu- and, and, ours, and ours is probably funnier as well, like with a good headline, because that's just how, like, that's just what the mill did to us. It just like, that's what the witches school did to us. Yeah, right. no, it's like I, for a long time uh, when I was still on OkCupid, okay my my little tagline on there was, "I can write a thousand words in fifteen minutes." <laughs> if I know exactly what I'm writing, I can write a thousand words in fifteen minutes. And so often at Kotaku, you had to have a fully formed idea before you even wrote the blog, so you did know exactly what you were writing. And uh, I can do it. I can do it. That's a rare skill. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like you know. I I think all of this is, and because I I wanted to say this when, you know, Luke, you were talking about kind of being the content mill for a little bit. And I wanted to say that it's been a treat to watch you kind of get to do bigger, you know, more interesting stuff or stuff that you found more interesting at Aftermath. Like, it's been cool to watch you flourish. It's been cool to see like what you do with those skills. And I think that's been the nice part of Aftermath in general for all of us is that like, unfortunately we were molded in this, we were forged in this crucible that definitely left us with scars, but also like aftermath couldn't be this good if we didn't all get really fucked up first. So it's like, yeah, unfortunately yeah. we all had to become mm-hmm. X-Men before we realized we needed to start Krakoa. I mean, you have to act, act two involves the hardships before act three involves, you know, the redemption and the happy ending. Oh, here's and my, also, my uh, other is, metaphor. Also, Go ahead, Chris. Sorry. Oh no. I mean, like I'm, I, I'm very proud of literally everyone doing the best version of themselves. I Riley, like Riley didn't get to do shit the same way that Riley gets to do shit now. And every time Riley does shit, knocks it out of the park. Yeah. Like Riley, Riley was in editor mode most of the time and like is still very clearly, you know, great <laughs> editor. He's still very, still yeah. very much an editor. Still very yeah. much. Yeah. But, like, er, but like, I mean, Riley likes yeah. being yes. an editor. He, said yes, he is when, literally an editor though. Right. So, yeah. No, no, no. He is. But he also like, you know, when he gets a takeoff now, it's fucking really good yeah. because yeah. like these are thoughts that are, that Riley didn't get to put on the fucking page as as often mm-hmm. because it structurally didn't benefit us, too. And it's like this thing where like, OK, like when you sort of loosen things up a little bit and say like you're technically your own boss, you can do that. It just lets better stuff flow out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not I getting we're all. We're all different versions of those videos where they like an animal that's been in captivity for, for ages when they <laughs> yeah. take it and let it like release it back into the wild and yeah. it takes one or two really hesitant steps and like looks back and then just takes off into the jungle am, and you never see it again because it's am, really happy. Like that's that's what it feels like. Yeah. I'm I'm one of those dogs that's never seen snow before and I go outside and I just start rolling around in it. <laughs> yeah. like I've gone I see insane. you doing that. You don't have to be a dog to do that. I could just see you doing that like normal. <laughs> I do also. You know what? I should that do that normally. Yeah. You Every, should do that. I'm going to make There's my new snow. bit being like the guy who's never seen snow. Yeah. Every time it snows, I'm going to be like, oh my God, what is what is What's this happening? magical powder? <laughs> and then I just start rolling around on the ground and people are like, yeah, but okay, well, yeah. I guess. It's funny yeah. though, because I, th- like, I thought I was like, because you guys like went and did other jobs after leaving Kotaku. Like I'm obviously by far the, the freshest um, departure from the website. And so I, part of me was worried that I, it would take me a while to shake the bad habits. Mm. And I was like, from the, from even before we opened, from when we were just doing the, the, the pre-baked blogs for launch, I was like, eh, no, absolutely not. Like yeah. that's never happening. No, for you, the again. limiters fell off immediately. I mean, not only were you doing the great posts in the same style of stuff that you did at Kotaku, I, I'm still looking forward to, if you ever want to do a cosplay showcase ever again, I loved those posts. I read every single one of them at Kotaku. They made me very happy. Um, but 
the artist stuff has been so fruitful because you have built mm-hmm. up such a good like set of sources when it comes to what is now like a huge many many issues in the field of digital art and art on the internet uh and that has been in our benefit just by being someone who liked that stuff and talked to the people who did it like mm-hmm. that article you had about how we're never going to see most of the art that is made for video games is really cool um for me i I had like a lot of a harder time i think because um i i i never really recovered from the self-esteem hit that i took at kotaku right like nobody ever told me i was doing a good job and i thrive on praise i love being praised if you all saw my face yesterday when you're all giving me compliments in our weekly meeting and i was just like yeah you're like yes yes Yes, feed them to me (laughs) Exactly. I love, I love doing that. I love giving compliments. Oh my God, me too. I love giving compliments about other people's writing because I find reading my colleagues' writing really inspiring. And I also feel like what I learned at Motherboard especially, which is an extremely collaborative place, that was a place under Jason um, Jason Keebler, Kebler, Jason Kebler, that was very, very collaborative. We did co-bylines all the time. Like the idea of co-writing something with another reporter was always encouraged. We always shared sources with each other. I wrote stories where someone else got me the quotes and they were like, you can contextualize this. I have to go do something else. And it felt natural and easy. And I feel like that is something that I never got to do at Kotaku. And imagine how good we'd all be if we could all share our skills like that. And that's what I feel like is occurring here. In our meetings, we all talk about reporting strategies and sources you could talk to and et cetera, et cetera. And I just think like we could have been an even better version of Kotaku if we were yeah. working together instead of trying mm-hmm. to fight and compete with each other. And yeah. it sucks that we never got that. Yeah, also, which is I, the, I mean, yeah. and it's the nice part too. I, I think we're still like, you know, learning how to do it as well because there's all this stuff that we, you know, did not have time to imagine before in terms of structure and in terms of how we can go about our daily jobs. Like, I think for me, um, you know, I, I'm still trying to break the habit of like being really reactive and being like, okay, I'm going to base what I'm writing today on what's happening as opposed to like building out larger, longer things and like doing tons of overtime research. Like a day like today is, you know, um, very straightforward for me. Cause I'm like, okay, a thing happened. I'm going to reach out to like 20,000 people. I'm going to get a story up at demon speed or what have you. Um, but like when that's not happening, you know, you can, as you're saying, spend time like collaborating with other people at the site that you work for, mm-hmm. or like, you know, building out these pieces, like, like Chris's afterlife piece, which is still so just good. incredible to me. Probably the um, best thing we've run so far, honestly. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I think um, I think I, like in a very funny way of, of bringing this back around. I think it is also the most the most uh, trafficked story um, in aftermath history. Yeah, I think it's got the most page views. The most of the three month history of aftermath. I'm, but I'm, yeah. I'm, tr- I'm trying to spend the same amount of rigor doing this next piece I'm on the Sanrio piece that I've been posting about, and I keep finding new movies. Uh, including I one that was not on IMDb in any meaningful way except a cryptic title. Uh, that seems to be a movie from 1986 about a French famous French pianist. That sounds just, incredible. Just, just like just <laughs> details of this keep falling out, dude. This shit's wild. You're gonna love this shit. I'm, I'm so, so excited happy. for this. I love, I love, I love taking a while to do a big story. <laughs> it's so yeah. fun. It's so much fun. I never had to do it before. Yeah, you know, it is like literally uh, dropping something that you've been writing for months is maybe the funnest thing that you could do as a writer. Yeah. My favorite I literally stories, never got that. My stories advice that I liked the most were the ones where I just sat down and watched a bunch of Aaron Sorkin and was just like, can I try to understand the mind of Aaron Sorkin? 
like, can I just like sit for a, I spent a month writing those, right? Just like really marinating in these thoughts, talking about it all the time, reading as much as I could, watching interviews, watching different, you know, video clips, discussing it with multiple different editors. And that's the only way these things get made is if you slave I, over them, you know, and we just, I didn't, in order to work on something longer at Kotaku, you had to write three blogs before noon. Yeah. You know? And then one of the by movies, that I, you were exhausted and you yeah, were just like, just to well, I'm going to just like either do another short thing because I'm just tired or you just be like, I'm going to slack off because I need to rest because I, my body, my body has nothing left, left to give. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, won't, exactly. I, won't, I, I won't go too much into that story, but it's like all the Sanrio films. And like I found out last night that one of the movies was shot in was a fucking 70 millimeter movie. Yo. And it was a 70 millimeter uh, version of Ovid's Metamorphosis that, ha- that that has three different soundtracks, one of which has the Pointer Sisters and Mick Jagger on it who made songs for that. That film you can't find anymore. That one. And then they turned it into a disco movie. Like this shit is insane. That I'm sorry. It's just, this is the stuff I'm that drives me, keeps me awake at fuck. Yeah. Fucking fucking. This is the shit that keeps me awake at night. But it's yeah. I'm so happy to yeah. fucking take um, a while. On if something. we're given previews of our next story to on the podcast, I am determined to finish this story about Call of Duty shippers. I had this incredible it- interview with a VTuber that goes by Yoto, and she told me just the wildest stuff about why she enjoys shipping, like how she got into it. She actually got into it through uh, slasher f- fan fiction on on Archive of Our Own and, and Tumblr and stuff like that, like slasher movies, like uh, Mike Myers and that kind of stuff. Cool. Which that crossover makes absolute perfect sense, right? Oh, oh God. There's a um. There's a Hi, TikToker. I got a link you to, by the way, who is a um, either queer or trans or gender fluid uh, TikToker who does like uh, Dead by Daylight streams entirely in like very elaborate Thai women's costumes. And yes. I got to find out who the fuck this oh person is. because I I think it's it's it's, it's uh, anyway. Go it's ahead. orthogonal mm-hmm. to the thing I'm talking about here, where like the reason why people find the yeah, Call of Duty guys is so sexy is one like Activision accidentally just like developed some really attractive men. Like a lot of people, if you give a, a guy a mask with skull iconography, a deep voice, there's just like a huge yeah. segment of the population that's going to go crazy for that. And like two, like sexualizing people who do bad things is fun, and people have done that for a very long time. Right. Well, yeah. I mean. This is a, this is like expanding my brain in terms of what we can do on this podcast. There's no reason not for us to just have a segment where we give people a preview of the stuff that we're working on. Yeah, why not? You know, what yeah. do you do? What do you I do? thought you were going to say we should do a segment where Captain Price's voice actor reads an erotic novel. We, but, we um. can also do that. Do, do any of you have him on speed dial? Unfortunately, no. Wait, Captain Price, are you in chat? Are you in chat right now? Just hanging out with us. Can we guest I've star you on the screen? I've got the fan fiction open in a tab. I've been reading the other story I'm working on, which I'm so excited about. And this is a call for anyone that wants to email me, Gita at aftermath.site. I'm talking to black women and why Jujutsu Kaisen has just in particular in the black community, in particular among black women, just gotten everybody in like a fucking chokehold. Uh, the the fan fiction in this category on AO3 is disgusting. <laughs> like, it's the filthiest shit I've read in years. Everybody's like every single fanfic about Sukuna has to have two penises. You know, only depraved I mind mean, can make them. Yeah, got, that makes sense. He's got sense, four yeah. arms. He's got yeah. so many eyes. Yeah, he's got four I mean, arms and two mouths. So why as not? As far as I'm concerned, that is canon. Like, why wouldn't it be? It makes more sense than not. <laughs> He must. Sorry. Ella the cat wants to be let out and she's screaming at me one second. 
Domain um, expansion. <laughs> Gita's office. I've been thinking about stupid domain expansion jokes. I've been watching JJK obsessively as uh, yeah. as as everybody in this you were, chat knows. You were you were caught up on the manga. Yeah, you, you've but watched Shibuya now. Yeah, no, no. So, you watched all Shibuya, right? Yeah, I watched yeah. all of Shibuya. Yeah. Um, when is anything good to ha- going to happen to Yuji Itadori? Is my big question. No comment. No comment whatsoever. Seems like None. nothing good's ever going to happen to him. That he's a little boy who's never done anything wrong. Yeah. Well. Uh, Luke, I'm sure you're not a huge anime person, but the the main conceit of JJK. Oh, oh, you're, I think muted. you're muted. Sorry, I was muted. I I was muted because I was snoring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I do. I, I do watch anime. I just don't watch that anime that yeah. you guys are all currently obsessed with. I'm watching Delicious in Dungeon. Oh, it's so good. We haven't talked yeah. about Delicious in Dungeon. Like, we we can talk about anime. Yeah. Just not. not Wait, we can have an anime corner. Watched, Why have I not also yeah. added that to the podcast? Yeah. I, I do agree. Itinerary. I do agree Delicious in Dungeon is the, is the good anime currently as if it's frenin and delicious and dungeon i think somebody online i saw someone say like elf fans are currently eating yeah because like if you those like are two, elves if you like if you like sort of shortish elves that like get stepped on or something or just do comical stuff those are two shows that you'd love <laughs> i recommend like, i like anime i like anime food like anime that's that fetish of anime food oh yeah but it's like yeah, like in Miyazaki movies when it just looks fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. incredible. When people just zoom in on some steaming ramen or whatever. Yeah. Like there's that, there's that, is it a tumbler? Like just anime food where it's oh, just gifts of you would bread, like... like fresh bread being cut. And yeah. 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 It's all the, the Ghibli food trite. That, sort that, of. In, that entire scene in Ponyo where the mum makes them like the ham ramen with like steaming beverages and stuff. But, oh, yeah, I think it's that, but it's also, it's also little fucked up mushroom goblins that yeah. just get cut open and, oh. and cooked. And the monster designs are always really cool because as they like are are pre- prepping the monsters to cook, you like learn that this the mangaka has thought all about the like the interior composition of all the monsters, and that's it always is super very fun. British. It's very British Bake Off. Yes, um, it's Bake Off. Uh, there's coded. a famous like, yeah. There's a famous book that was actually referenced by some of the super flat manifesto artists like Murakami and shit. And it's like called an anatomical guide to monsters. And I've been meaning to find a, I think it's from like the sixties, but it was basically just uh cross section diagrams of like all of the kaiju. Oh, that's yeah, like, like cool. Godzilla cut down the middle and stuff. Yeah. I've yeah. yeah. It's a really famous, amazing. it's a very famous yeah. book and it's uh referenced a lot. I actually just want a print copy of it. Cause it's mm-hmm. like been something I've wanted since I was 20. Uh, but that you see that cause that book was so fucking popular in Japan. You see that arrive like in other stuff like you see it like referenced in the same way that like i don't know i guess the closest is the is like uh we had like the the big ship book from star wars oh yeah the cutaway the, the, cut, the cutaways book yeah the with it's like here's yeah. what's in a star destroyer and shit like that book's yeah. still really cool uh luke whenever yeah, you get caught book. up oh, there's actually there's actually multiple of those books and i've got all of them <laughs> yeah the, the gun one i i know the those ones yeah, but like yeah, the, the, yeah. the ship no, one's the like, one that hits there's no no there's multiple ship ones that they've released for like the the newest trilogy and stuff. Oh sure, I just mean the original one, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're all good, man. They're all cutaways. So like, even the the bad movies have good cutaway ship illustrations. Yeah. Whenever uh, you get all caught up on Delicious in Dungeon, or you just keep watching the anime until the end of the season, definitely get the the art book, which is like it goes through all the monsters and their physical compositions and uh, has other extra recipes and stuff in there. It's very, very sweet. I read it. I read the manga 
like in a week because I couldn't get enough of it and it's worth it. It's definitely the art book is definitely worth it. So, uh, yes, anime, will. it's good. That's the aftermath.site position. Anime, yeah. we like it. We do like it. Oh, we, okay. lo- we love we love dungeon meal, folks. We, we do. Nathan's, um, Nathan's trying to wrap this up. Yeah, yeah. We, we've been at this for uh, an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, my and back we still is hurting need to again. Hit our, well, we still have to hit like the, the Q&A segment. Um, so, folks, go ahead and flood chat with questions if you got them. Um, and then in the meantime, we did get a couple via Discord. Um, neither of them are extremely intense. The first one is simply, uh, Chris, how many chairs are you up to at this point? How many chairs do you have in your possession on your body right now? Uh, currently I have two just because I slim, I, I, the thing about my chair, chair thing, uh, if you didn't read my chair blog, read my chair blog and also read Gita's chair blog. Um, really charitable of you is I, I have limited myself for the, even though I have a fairly large office to one chair for me and either an alternate slash girlfriend chair. Um, those are the only ones I have. Currently I have my Aeron, which is an emerald green Aeron with an additional thing. And then I have a sale. Uh, I do want to get a steel series eventually. Uh, there's a third Hawthorne, I think is the name of the third brand that people don't like that. Like you can get a better deal even than steel series, but it's apparently not as good as steel series or steel case. Sorry. Um, not the mouse brand, if you, uh, uh, but yeah, two, you, I got two and I think I've had like eight or nine of just Herman Miller chairs. Mm-hmm. Did you uh, give those away or like what happened to them? Uh, one of them was from Gawker Media and I gave to a friend of mine and then the other ones were a combination of either giving, repairing them and giving them away or repairing them and selling them or repairing them and selling them with the cost of the parts, which usually was like 80 or 90 bucks. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I'm just doing this for fun. Like I, I do that with speakers. Like I just got a pair of uh, very, very obscure German speakers called uh, ADS Braun. And I bought them, went to the Bronx, had a really weird Facebook marketplace interaction uh, le- in the South Bronx, left. You know, it's just like, just like the guy asking me like, Hey, can you wait at the McDonald's? I'm like, okay, fine. You know, just like, just like, just like, it's fucking two, two degrees outside, man. Um, and, uh, and then immediately tested them, listened to them and then like sold, flipped them at my cost for my local bookstore so that they, so that when I go in there, they, they do that. You know what I mean? Like, um, I like, I like deals for the sake of the deal. I don't like making money on it because I feel like you, you anger the deal gods if you do that. That's Hmm. very sound logic honestly that's why house flipping is so disgusting right you're angering the deal gods you got a house you should be living Mm -hmm. in it (laughs) yeah and that's why the housing market is doing so poorly yeah because the gods are mad can we do can we do an after chat about the curse now that it's finished oh my god speaking of house i'm one episode away from the finale i will watch it and then we got to do that we got to do the after chat Mm. i'm yes just like the final scene of the penultimate episode where Dougie reveals the show that he was working on and it's this horrible really bizarre show that makes Whitney into this horrible like queen I'm the green queen and this is my the scene. green queen yeah, yeah. god mm-hmm. I'm I love I'm just really sad that the um was it the online ceramics merch uh sold out already they had a cherry tomato boys t-shirt and i really wanted it but it's gonna be okay <sighs> well like it's funny what chris what chris said about uh angering the deals guys i used to have a second job 
like a, I'm not not an actual second job, but like I used to buy and sell sneakers on Facebook Marketplace, um, <laughs> and it was a lucrative yeah. secondary source of income for like for a few years for me. And then one day, like I had one of those like face washed white looking in the mirror moments where it's like I can't afford the shoes I want because they're too expensive because people are selling them on Facebook. And you know, it was like you idiot, you're the one. There you're you one go. Of the people fucking doing <laughs> That's great. Oh, right. um, I'm like the person I, said, I hate. And then yeah, just it's like what I said away, earlier yeah. about, uh, but it's like what I said earlier about market trends. Somebody started the trend. Mm-hmm. You did mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your mm-hmm. market trends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You were market wow. trends, Luke. You did it. <laughs> the deal's yeah. gone. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> it's an, it's the second, it's the second, I did a terrible thing. And then redemption arc storyline <laughs> in the same podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love my coworkers. I think they're good. Um, Aww, okay. Thanks. Same. Um, as chat has yet to produce a question. Wow. Incredible. Um, you've really let us down aside from the fact that you've been extremely participatory. No, thank you for um, being so here. Good. I yeah. love the community. They weren't, they weren't, for everybody listening as a podcast, they are very active at the moment. Yeah. They're just not asking questions. They're yeah, talking I'm just about giving them shit village. because Cheers. it's fun for yeah. me. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's really fun for me to pick it like a hundred or pick on a hundred people at once. If I did that in real life, I'd just get beat up. Um, but we'd have one more question from discord, which is simply, what is your Taco Bell order? Mm-mm. I already know. I know exactly what it is. Okay. It's disgusting. It is three or four bean burritos and a cheesy gordita crunch, but without meat, you replace it with uh, with black beans. So, I mean, that, that sounds acceptable, albeit, you know, like many Taco Bell things, just you're not going to feel good the next day no. or for a week. No. Um, I, I haven't gotten Taco Bell in it for a while, but I got really into it for like maybe a few months for a minute there, like a couple of years ago. And I'd always try to like maximize bang for my buck. So it'd be a bunch of like cheap, shitty tacos. And then like maybe one or two things that were like more in the dealy sector of being good, but it was just a lot. And I would always eat maybe like a fourth of it and then be like, oh my God, I feel horrendous. And then I just put the rest of it in the refrigerator and think that I would have it later. No. Because you don't want to throw things away. Refrigerated Taco Bell is the worst thing that you could possibly imagine ingesting. It doesn't. Um, it's not food's not meant to last. As soon as it decays at all, it becomes sludge. It's horrible. Right. Yeah. No, it's like dipping a cardboard box into acid. Yeah. Like all the congealed I, cheese. Giving me lactose intolerance issues. Mm-hmm. I uh, uh, I've eaten Taco Bell like twice in my life because I gave up McDonald's when I was eighteen, and by extension, anything that wasn't like a handful of fast food places I had ever like I went to. I don't know. Maybe they just didn't have a lot of them in Massachusetts. So I basically just don't really care, even though I respect it, and it's probably the best one. So my order is walking in, getting a diet Baja Blast, and then leaving. <laughs> <laughs> See, my problem really is that ta- I don't eat meat. I'm like 70%, 75% vegan most of the time. You know, we do, we we only cook vegan in our house and we don't, I, if we eat out and I get something with cheese, that's the most it'll be. So Taco Bell is functionally like the only fast food restaurant that has enough options for me to eat a full meal. I can get like two Impossible Whoppers, right? But like, that's the only thing on their menu that doesn't have meat on it, basically. So there's nothing at yeah. McDonald's I can eat, you know? No, I, all of my vegan friends, like, 
they're like, oh man, I just need something really shitty in, yeah. <laughs> in, in my, in my body. And then, and this is a safe bet. Although I heard they, they downsized a lot of their vegetarian options. You know, as long as they allow you to swap things like the customizability of the items, I will be okay. But it wouldn't sure. surprise me if like the cheesy potato taco just ended up not being cost effective in yeah. the long run. The cheesy potatoes are great. They are Those good. rule. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you Luke. a Taco Bell, Luke? Yeah. Do you eat Taco Bell? We don't have Taco Bell. Whoa. I was going to oh say, wait, yeah. No. What is your regional? So, wait, wait, wait. The, so there is there is background to this. Is obviously most American fast food, like major chains, end up here at, at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of them stick, and some of them don't because they like some of them hit like obviously McDonald's, um, Hungry Jacks. Oh, that's a different story for another podcast. <laughs> um, Taco Bell was here like twenty years ago. And then it was like, people were like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is terrible. Because we had existing, like, Mexican yeah. adjacent takeaway places already. And so it and it, it went away really quickly. It's only just coming back. They're, and they've, like, rebranded it to look way more, I don't know, slick. Like, it doesn't look like what I traditionally yeah. thought a Taco Bell yeah. looked like. And it's only in very select locations. Like, it's only just coming back. But, yeah, so well, I don't yeah, know Taco Bell. They're, they're making With, our, big- our equivalent... Mm. Our equivalent ones are like we have we have exi- like three existing competing Mexican adjacent style chains here already. Great. So, and they they're not the same as Taco Bell. Like they they're not as notorious for like just slopping food together that's terrible <laughs> for you, but you just love it. Like they they do actually do decent burritos and stuff. But um, I'll be the judge of that. Sorry, I don't have a ta- I don't have a Taco Bell. Or- it's okay. Mm. We forgive I, I, you. I think I think if memory serves. Like they've been pushing Taco Bell cantinas more yes. in America, which are mm-hmm. basically the yeah. super nice Taco Bells. Mm-hmm. They're like the kind of Tony bougie ones. Yeah, and it is funny that demolition are they like Man's really gr- like are they like really gray and concrete yes. with like neon signs? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I walked past it, one in it, Sydney on the weekend. Yeah, okay. It, sometimes they serve like, alcohol there. Definitely what it was. It's mm-hmm. like the yeah. It's, sometimes they serve beer. They're kind of like closer to Chipotle. Yeah, basically. And yeah, basically ta- uh, the fucking demolition man is real now. Uh, you know. <laughs> The, the joke from that of like, you know, we only serve Taco Bell and it's like a nice place with a guy and a piano. Yeah, you know, the Taco Bell Cantina, they serve margarita mix there. They have margaritas there. And uh, what's very interesting to me is like watching Taco Bell branding in America is that they've started to, they, they really are invested in like uh, making sure that they are cool in some way. And that is translated into uh, licensing a song from Turnstile for one of their commercials. You know what? That... That almost rules, but I mean, I think that we're hitting the turnstile event horizon where soon they will not be cool anymore. They Did you say they um, announced a, a brand collab with Converse Sneakers? Uh, I mean, that collab makes sense. Yeah. But it's like we I are mean, close. Like, yeah. yeah. One of my, one of my favorite, uh, uh, one of these posts that, that, that was like, I think it's like 2020 or 2022 or something like that. And it was the character actor, Jesse Playman's uh, celebrity meal from McDonald's. <laughs> and the image is just regular hamburger fries from wendy's cup of water quote i get it sometimes (laughs) i really like that too wait oh man the aftermath meal at taco bell um the after meal the after meal so baja blast four bean (laughs) burritos and then a lot of food that you're going to refrigerate later yes and never ever eat (laughs) never ever if you do eat it then, then you'll that's be upset you. with yourself. Your guts will melt. Yeah, they'll just rebel. They'll just poop them all. All right. Out. Yeah. On that note, um, I think that we are going to wrap up for the week because we've been at this for a while. And, uh, you know, we don't want our guts to melt or whatever. 
Anyway, thank you to everybody who tuned in live. Thank you to everybody who um, listened later or is listening now at a later date. We really appreciate it. And we'll be back next week. Peace out. Yep. Bye. Bye. Bye.